Hello and welcome once again to the Fisherman's Post Saltwater Podcast Series. My name is Gary Hurley of Fisherman's Post. Fisherman's Post has been serving the fishing community, saltwater fishing community of North Carolina since 2003, bringing you fishing reports, fishing information, fishing tournaments, fishing schools, and now our latest chapter, the Fisherman's Post Podcast Series. And in this podcast series... We reach out to our friends, the captains and guides from up and down the North Carolina coast and ask them to share their insights on how to catch more fish more often. And then the extension of that goal isn't just more fish more often, but just to get people to spend more time on the water, spend more time with more family, more friends on the water catching those fish. Um, in this particular episode... I am joined by Captain Joe Tunstall of Carolina Traditions Charter Business, and it's out of Beaufort, North Carolina. Uh, Joe's going to be talking to us about topwater trout and warm water. Topwater trout and warm water. We're going to be talking about, we're going to start with the wares and the whens, and then we're going to move into lures, and then we're going to move further into methods, the, the techniques for those lures. Um, before we get there, though, I want to introduce you to my co-host billy thorpe of thorpe creative billy welcome once again what's up gary hey man good to see you there across the table yeah it's, you know it's feeling more and more comfortable looking forward to talking to joe about topwater trout you know i think people just are curious about trout i think people are enamored by topwater so this is a good marriage dude i love topwater not right. good at it, so I'm ready to learn. Ready right. to learn a lot of stuff. Uh, and if you and if you love Topwater and you love this fishing show, make sure you go check us out on different channels. We're on Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and also you can subscribe uh, on our YouTube channel to see this video version if you haven't already, if you're listening, or vice versa, uh, if you want to watch. And it really helps us out if you smash. That's what all the cool kids are saying these days, Gary. Smash. Smash the like button. Push the describe button and hit the dingy bell. Smash and stingy. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, um, but yeah, all this is made possible by Marine Warehouse, so we're going to take just a second here and see what they got to say. At Marine Warehouse, we have everything. We have new boats. We have parts. We have accessories, new trailers. We have a complete service department with highly trained technicians. Anything you need to get out on the water, we have it. At Marine Warehouse Center, as we've grown over the last few years, now have a large section of marine supplies from start to finish for all your boating needs. What I love about this region is to be able to get out on the water, and also we love to be able to get you out on the water. The best part of working at Marine Warehouse is being able to get involved with the customers and share a love for the water. There you go, Marine Warehouse. Well, you know, I'm going a different direction this time, Billy. All right. You know, I was doing a little-known fact about Emmett try to pull Terrell into the scene but I have a quiz for you I have a marine warehouse center related oh, quiz please don't fail please don't fail one of their major lines is Carolina skiffs man they sell a bunch of Carolina skiffs and for good reason my question to you Billy and this is going to be multiple choice how many models of 2020 Carolina skiffs are there to choose from four different models eight different models 12 different 16 different oh I was going to go with one, but I'll go with four. I'll go with four. Four is my answer. What if it wasn't four? I would be impressed if it's not four. It's 16. 16 different models. 16 different models. Wow. I did my research. I went on the website. That's impressive. 
Carolina Skiff. Yeah, great that's, line. That's really impressive. 16 different models. That's how many iPhones come out every year. I'm, kinda, <laughs> I'm pretty impressed. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Wow. Take anyway. us to a fish photo. All right. Here we go. Here's our little fish photo of the week. Maybe if I can find it. There it is. Here we go. Jamie McCarran. Is that how you pronounce that, Gary? You're, you're the English professor here. Yeah. Let's go, McCarran. Perfect. From McCarran. Bolivia with a 23-inch speckled trout caught in the Lockwood Folly River trolling a Rapala husky jerk crankbait. Man, what a nice-looking fish. I couldn't even fit it all in the little picture that I had. And he is not wearing a Fisherman's Post hat. He is not wearing a Fisherman's Post shirt. <laughs> and if he was, he would have been here three episodes ago. <laughs> he ordered one. And so when he ordered one, I said, you got a fish photo? Uh, I'm making that up. I, you just sent the picture in with a receipt. <laughs> You're like, all right, here we go. <laughs> it's perfect, man. Um, Billy, I'm getting ready to talk with Joe. All right, go for it. But remember, at the end, at the end of Billy's, at the end of Joe's delivery, I'm coming back to you for Billy's best takeaway. Billy's best takeaway, topwater trout. All right, man. I'm going to be ready. All right. Let's bring up Joe Tunstall. Captain Joe Tunstall, Carolina Traditions. Out of Beaufort, how you doing, Joe? I'm doing great, Gary. I appreciate you. Thank you for letting me be here, and I'm looking forward to telling people all I know about topwater trout and warm months. Yeah, man, I'm I'm looking forward to this conversation very much. So, I mean, I I'm one of those groups that I'm interested in trout. I'm interested in topwater. So it's a great marriage. Um, we have the whens, the wheres, the lures, the methods, and as is protocol on the show. Before we go any further. I ask you to tell my podcast viewers, my podcast listeners, why should they listen to Big Joe talk about a trout? Well, that's because I'm so enthusiastic about whatever I talk about, Gary. Man, look at I, that. He, I've been trout fishing since I was about three years old. I used to beat the banks with my dad. We, we always had a boat, but he loved to fish from, from the land and if we weren't doing that, we were fishing from the boat or fishing from a dock or something of that nature. And he taught me a lot of good lessons about trout fishing from everywhere from Spooner's Creek to Cape Lookout Rock Jetty, off the beach, Atlantic Beach or Pinal Shores or Indian Beach or Moda, wherever. And uh, he loved to throw a mirror lure or a curly tail. That was his favorite thing. And so for over 30 years now, I've, I've been chasing speckled trout. Um, and it's just, you know, it's, it's Turn into other things now, other passions, but uh, speckled trout is what I built the foundation of my guide business on uh, when we started it in 2012. Um, I just, you know, uh, year before last, I caught, I uh, do a lot of kayak fishing in my spare time, uh, 31 and a half inch speckled trout that I'd been hunting for a while. Uh, and then two days later, a 29 and three quarter inch speckled trout. So uh, I guess that kind of put me in a different level there. Uh, I like using artificial tackle and uh, I love hunting trout, especially in the, in the hot months and the coldest months, my favorite time of year. Billy, I think that resume passes. I, th I think it did. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think, we're, I don't know if we're paying them enough. <laughs> what do you mean? I think Joe should re I, renegotiate I, that contract I, with us. I think free is good. Joe, <laughs> Joe, as is tradition on the Fisherman's Post podcast series, I have two questions for you. These are two non-fishing related questions. Are you ready, Joe? Bring it on, Gary. All right. So I went off of your guide name, Carolina Traditions. So actually, I'm just guessing your opinion on 
Carolina traditions, on great Carolina traditions. Joe, which is the greater Carolina tradition, pig picking or oyster roast? Oh, that's a tough one, Gary. Golly. Hmm. I reckon it probably goes back to pig picking because based on, on the history I know, that was the first lesson they learned was how to preserve and cook pig meat when they got over here. All right, I'll take that. Billy, what was your answer? I don't remember what the second... Uh, Oyster roast. Oh, yeah, I'm going to go with that one. That sounds good. All right. I'll go with the opposite. Yeah. All right, second question. Which is the greater Carolina tradition, Joe? Pepsi or cheer wine? Oh, another tough one. <laughs> I don't know which one's older, but I'll have to pick Pepsi because... Um, a little bit of Carolina has definitely spread all over the world with Pepsi. And Pepsi's going to be calling you. Pepsi is going to be calling you with a sponsorship after this podcast. So you answered well. <laughs> I, I guess Pepsi makes Sundrop, right? That's got to be a close runner up. Everybody here drinks Sundrop. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, often when we're talking fishing, the first question is the where. So let's start our conversation there. So we're talking specifically about topwaters for trout in warmer weather. And what can you give us some insights on the type of areas you like to target? Absolutely, Gary. Thank you. Um, I look for, um, they can be anywhere on a deep marsh edge with a good uh, water movement down the edge of that marsh edge. But probably my top place to where I'm going to specifically target uh, large topwater trout on the warm months is going to be underwater grass beds. I'm going to look in those areas, um, especially if uh, they have any amount of water flow that borders up to the edges of those grass beds. Uh, I'm going to check those areas and I'm going to scout them with topwater. I'm going I'm to try to do my best to thoroughly cover those areas on different cycles of the tide, early morning, late evenings. Uh, and I'm going to be looking for trout in those places, or if you have an area that is both, you have marsh grass, or all three. If you have marsh grass, oyster rocks, and underwater grass beds, then that's a pretty good area to say, hey, I'm going to start looking for topwater trout right here. What do you think, Gary? Um, I like it. I follow the. I have some follow-up questions, as I do. I mean, I think that's part of my job. That's part of why I get paid the big bucks. So... You spent the most time on underwater grass beds, and that has my attention right now. So is there a lot of that type of habitat in the Beaufort, Moorhead, AB area? Yes, sir. We're, we're pretty blessed to have good, clean water and uh, areas that are protected with uh, national park or um, wildlife sanctuary areas. And uh, anywhere that you have good, healthy areas like that, you'll find underwater grass beds. Uh, Duck blinds, you, you see a duck blind kind of in the middle of somewhere, not on a marsh bank, uh, it's probably going to have an underwater grass bed. And even sometimes if you do have a duck blind on a marsh bank, there's usually some grass out off of a point from that, from that marsh bank. Um, also, to put it in perspective, areas like Maw Point Shoal, uh, Brand Island Shoal, those areas also hold grass. And those are places for the anglers that are across on the noose or the Pamlico or other areas like that where they can target uh, topwater trout as well. But if you come up and we have a lot of clear water this time of year when it's not rain seven inches and, and blowing a gale southwest, 
Um, you can usually see that grass, and if you can find a good, healthy area that has 6 to 10, maybe 12 inches of grass growing up from the bottom, it'll be just under the surface, uh, especially even if that grass is dry on a lower tide. Uh, if it floods on a higher tide, uh, that's a good area to start targeting some trout too. And we, we do, we were blessed with a good number of areas like that. Although in my lifetime, some of them have started dying, but there's still, there's still some out there. And so what is it? It's the, uh, that's the same kind of habitat that ducks are brought, you know, I'm not a hunter, so the ducks are brought in on the winter time and that's why duck blinds are a good signal that there's grass beds out there. Yes, sir. That's right. Those habitats in the summer will produce more oxygen so that they will be cooler in the warm summer months and then in the winter months uh if it's not on a real light colored bottom if it's in a couple of feet of water those same grass beds will also produce a little warmth and shelter uh puts a you know like think about fish in a school they, they tend to school up in the warmer months spread out or school up in the colder months and spread out in the warmer months those same areas will help protect the fish's warmth and they'll also act as a habitat to shelter smaller bait fish or even shrimp right up until December or January when the, the last of the shrimp start to go away. But uh, definitely your bait fish and your crabs, um, any, any, um, any, any food species like that, 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 that the predators will look for, will, it'll hold those. And, and the same with the ducks. The ducks, what they're going to eat in those areas uh, is going to be sheltered or protected with that grass. Um. And then what did you tell me? So I, I made some notes, but I missed it. Did you say deep water along marsh grass? Is that what you said? Or what was the marsh grass scenario that you also like? Sometimes you can have, I've seen it both different ways, Gary. I've seen you have a, a deeper edge on a marsh, on a cut marsh bank. And then out from that will be grass. Or you can have a shallow, it'd be like a shallow point that butts up to that marsh grass. And there'll be, uh, underwater grass off of that shallow point. Uh, so I've seen it both ways. And I've also seen, think about big points like Maw Point Shoal or Brand Island Shoal that stick way out off the land that, that people don't often realize are as predominant as, there are, as they are. Areas like that that can hold a 12 to a 12 inch to three foot uh, level of water over top of them can also uh, be grass habit, underwater grass habitats as well. So I've kind of seen it both ways, I guess, more or less at some point or another, it's usually a point, whether it's a very pronounced point or, or whether it's a, a deeper point under two or three foot of water. Um, so I've, I've seen it all, well, all three different ways. And then how do you mention oyster rocks? How do oyster rocks fit into this equation? That's, again, more habitat. That's going to hold, uh, specifically speaking about trout, that's going to hold your smaller bait fish patterns. That's going to hold your shrimp. Uh, it's something as they're leaving a creek, because think about it, a lot of times the predominant oyster rock is going to be uh, at the mouth of a estuary-type system, whether it be a creek or a point that has uh, marsh grass or something of that nature. And so as that water exits that area, You'll usually find oysters in a place like that where uh, it'll act as a catch-all. It's acting just like a reef, just like AR-315, 320, 330, 285. They're, they're put in a strategic area. Uh, it just simulates an oyster rock or a natural point. Uh, those areas as that water funnels out of those estuary-type systems, 
you know, those oyster rocks will usually build up on the on the on the exodus of that system, and uh, naturally, as the bait fish struggles to fall back out of the shallow areas or get washed out of those shallow areas, they'll fall back on that rigid habitat like a oyster rock, and and that's where they'll 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 hang out. Usually, the oyster rock has a deep edge from where the water sculpts out around it, so that'll hold. Uh, that'll hold your bait fish through the lower cycles of the tide. Well, your predator fish, your, your drum, your trout, your flounder, they know that. And that's why they'll they'll flock back to those areas. And then I also had in my notes, I think you mentioned this early on, that you like water movement. So you like you like the water moving along. You like a rise and a fall, just not the f- flood, the... Yes, sir. I do. I like I like a moving, uh, fast moving edge on a marsh bank. And if I can find grass bed or an oyster rock there, then I know that I found an area that had. I like I like to look for two or three different things. And um, like some some of the areas that I fish, you'll have a, a grass bed that extends off the shoreline, and behind that will be a. A marsh system that juts up into the land and so as that water flows out of that marsh system over that grass again you have smaller smaller species of shrimp bait fish crabs etc washing out of that uh, estuary system and and clinging to that grass or falling back onto that wish rock and yes yeah, so I, I do typically like to look for moving water and you can even find that way back in the creeks like Slocum and Hancock, Kahuki, etc. as well as on the Noose and Pamlico River. You just find some areas where water's moving a little faster than it is in another area and, and very basic that's what I look for to target is, is some sort of moving water. Well let's take this uh, tide conversation sort of segue into a little bit more focus on when. I mean I think that's a I think that's a solid where conversation. And if I go more to when, um, I guess first I'll have you define warm weather. I mean, are we talking that you are catching topwater trout through even the dog days of August, like as warm as it gets, or is there a certain window that you like better? It starts to fall back in August a little bit, but I'll tell you that I do catch topwater trout while I'm drum fishing or old drum fishing on the river. Uh, in certain areas so yes it is still possible during the the hottest part of the day not so much but in the mornings and the afternoons uh, if you're really specifically targeting topwater trout as far as um, a time of day it's usually done by 7 30 or 8 o'clock now as that water kind of gets between 68 and 80 degrees I suppose is kind of when I like to my mind starts shifting April, May, if it goes ahead and warms up, you know, about time strawberries and stuff, people start thinking about that. Uh, that's when my mind starts to shift to wading grass flats for topwater trout. Um, a good friend of mine, Wayne, turned me on to it, and I'm going to tell you what, it, it's been great ever since then, and it's just this thing. As soon as that water starts to warm up and you put those shorts on, you can stand to be in that water before the sun comes up. Uh, that's time to start thinking about trout, but by August it's it's slowed down a little bit, and uh, you have to look for areas that hold shrimp a little more. There's little deeper sloughs or gullies along the rivers, uh, areas around the noose. Uh, some of those will hold grass, and and that's where I have to look for them. Then 
Uh, but I can stay on top order trout pretty much all year round. But as far as what I, what we're speaking about today, that's pretty much kind of done probably by by the middle of August, first of August, depending on how hot it gets, how much rainfall, et cetera. So, so for the rest of July, you can be doing it. But you're saying really you need to target that action early. You know, you're you've explored you've you've spent it by seven thirty, eight o'clock in the morning. And that's because that's, of light? Is that because of water temps rising? Why is that 8 o'clock window something of a shutdown? I think it's both, Gary. I think it has to do with the water starts to heat up really fast after about 8, 30, 9 o'clock in the morning. Um, I also think that it has to do with, with the light. I think it has to do uh, specifically what with the light. I, I, I'm not exactly sure. I know that, or I believe that, that, if a fish is going to feed top water, it never loses the fear of a predator from above. Ospreys, eagles, pelicans, seagulls, etc. So that that you know theoretically could be something to do with it, but I think more or less uh, the heat has a lot to do with it. When that water starts to to really heat up fast, it loses its oxygen. Uh, you know, think about a little crystallization experiment with phosphate. As that water heats up. Uh, cooler water is good. So when you have a high tide in the morning before the sun comes up, you take that water has gone up into those creeks and it's cooled down. Um, it, it can cool down 10, 15, 20 degrees. And if you've ever targeted trout in the mountains, you want to look for a, a cold entry of water coming from a higher point. It can be 10, 15, 20, 30 degrees cooler entering through a hotter body of water that's going to attract those fish, trout, drum, etc. And so as that water leaves those those creeks and estuaries in the morning or those uh, shallower grass beds, it will have cooled down at night from the cooler temperatures. And as the tide falls back in the morning, um, eventually all that water will be out, and then you'll be looking at potentially this time of year 90-degree water on low tide. I was fishing 90-degree grass flats the other day, and it was barren. There was nothing there. Uh, but you take that shallow area in the morning, it's going to cool down faster, the same as it's going to warm up quicker during the heat of the day. So they're going to like that cooler water breaking into the to the warmer, larger body of water. And sunset just doesn't produce as much, I guess, just because the water's still warm from the day of sun. And so it doesn't, the light doesn't help out. Or do you still find some success when the sun's going down? We'll still do some evening fishing till you know, 9.30, 9, 9.30 at night, yes. It's not as productive, but it can be a great end to a day. If you didn't have a chance to, to hit the water by 4.40 in the morning and uh, it just doesn't work for your day, don't be discouraged to head out to, say you got you know a buddy that has a piece of property that has a dock and there's a grass bed underneath with a channel deep enough to, to leave his boat from the dock. Don't let that stop you from headed out in the afternoon to go throw top water for a little while because you stand a good chance of catching a nice fish. We weighed several nice fish uh, last year that, that were caught in the evening time in similar circumstances as that there to chase the tail. So don't let that discourage you. It can be productive. We just haven't found it to be the numbers the same as it is in the morning. Okay. And then if you could pick it, you know, I think you said moving water. If you could pick it, you know, that early morning from five to seven, would you want the incoming tide or the falling tide? I like where it just starting to fall, where it's just starting to fall out of, of, of that shallow flat, whether it be a grass flat or an estuary that, that busts up to a grass flat. I would pick, you know, get up there at the top of the high tide 
and uh, hopefully it'll time out where you're fishing that falling tide through about 7.30, 8.30 in the morning. Okay, man. I follow that. So I'll tell you what. I know you got a lot to say about lures and methodology. Um, before I move you on to lures, anything else to wrap up about the when and where? I, I think the main thing is is, is kind of what, what you asked earlier is I think that if the first thing in the morning doesn't work for you, don't be discouraged to hit in the evening time. Um, maybe on dead low tide won't be very productive for you, but any time on the water is good. So, uh, especially with nowadays. But uh, you hit that you hit that water anytime. Um, that that's what I encourage you to do. That would be why I'd want how I'd want to leave that, Gary. Okay. All right. So let's transition to lures. What am I going to throw? Well, there's all kinds of stuff. There's there's subwalk lures and straight topwater lures. Uh, I have to show you my favorite is probably uh, the Rapala Skitter Walk, and this is the smaller one, the SW8 they call it, and it's the silver mullet color. It's exactly what it says on the back, silver mullet. That's probably my favorite. It produces a nice flash, and I have uh, one similar out of the package here that I can show you. Um, this is actually a, a spook, but you see it's got that nice flash to it. Very bright, nice flash. Uh, we found these lures, whether it's a pink back, a black back, or has a gold hue to it, we found these lures to be more productive uh, in the morning. Uh, now, once I'm used to the middle of the day, I'll, I'll go to more of a muted color like this white that only has a little bit of flash to it. Um, Something like that, especially if you got dirty water. Uh, if you're doing the evening thing, this has been a good color. It's caught lots of citation trout over the years. Uh, it's very good, productive color, drum and trout both. Uh, that could potentially be a good evening color for you, especially if you had some uh, really clear skies in the evening or something. I haven't tried that color in the morning. It's more of an evening color for me, or even in the middle of the day. Um, late morning, you got that small pattern again. This has like a, it's got a kind of a, a sheen to it. Again, this is another skitter walk in the SW8, and it has uh, a skin over it. It's called Jig Skins is the brand. So if you got an old beat up top water that, that, that looks all gnarly and you don't feel like using it, you can check this company out. And it's just a little vacuum seal skin that goes right over top of it. And this one's done good for me. I can't get the light. Well, there you can get a little bit. It's got kind of a, a little, like a pinkish hue to it, but it's a mullet skin. And I've, I've, this has been better for me uh, in the middle of the day or later morning when the sun gets higher. Uh, I think the flash is just too much when you get into uh, the higher sun, the higher aspect of sun. I think that the, the flash just doesn't work as good. I prefer to go with a little bit darker colors than... Uh, but in the morning, I've definitely found your brighter chrome lures or um, even some of the holographic ones, uh, the pink back holographic side or yellow back holographic side. Um, you know, here's another one from Mirror Lure, uh, another top water. It's got the, the skin series on there. Uh, that's a good natural color for, for higher sun, middle of the day, late morning type stuff. Uh, not really particular, uh, whatever your flavor with top water, whether it's mirror lure, super spook. I mean, uh, the North Carolina, uh, top water, uh, inshore slam record was set with the heat and super spook. So you can't go wrong with that. 
Uh, Jimmy Price thought thought that anyhow. So, um, you know, it's just whatever whatever flavor it is, but just the chrome tends to do a lot better in the morning, uh, whereas the muted colors do better in the middle of the day or if you have real dirty water like in the river and some of the areas off of Core Sound, I've done better with the bone pearl type colors. Uh, any question about lures, Gary? Yeah, man, I was going to – I mean, not much. That was That was on point. Um, why the smaller size? I'm not sure, Gary. That's been a big mystery. We've caught them on the bigger ones in the morning and the evening. I've done better with the bigger one in the evening, maybe. But the morning, that little one tends to do so much better in the morning. Now, I, I, I've weighed fish from other anglers who like to use the big one. But I find that uh, if you have still water in the morning, which we, we, we frequently do, that little one is just on point, man. It's on fire. Uh, whereas if you have choppier water, you might have to go with one of the larger patterns. Uh, the, the heat and small is a, a little bit bigger, and I'll show you both of them in comparison for size. So it's it's just a little bit, you know, just a little bit bigger in comparison. See if I can get these things angled so they show up on there. There we go. It's just a little bit bigger pattern. Um, when it gets choppy, you have to go with that bigger pattern or, or use, I, I don't have one with me, but uh, actually, yes, I believe I do have right here. The Skitter V by Rapala has done really well for me. This is an ugly lure, but it's got me and this lure have history. This has a V notch on the bottom of it. Okay. Uh, and when it's choppy, that tends to do really good in choppier water during the later part of the morning or middle of the day. So talking about choppy water, like what gets to a point where top water is just not effective? I mean, is there a certain wind you avoid, a certain element of chop on the water that you just say it's a deal breaker, we're going to do something else? Well, like about every other eastern North Carolina angler and even a lot of them in Florida, I don't that east wind doesn't always work. It depends on how much east it's got in it. A lot of that depends on the area, Gary, is, is, you know, fishing as much as I've been fishing the last couple years, you know, blessed to be able to fish and run guide trips. Um, I have so many areas. I find an area for everything that I want to do to hide from every type of wind. And then the only trick is figuring out, which is what a lot of anglers get frustrated with, is figuring out, I know this is a good area, but what tide or time of day or time of the year or when do I find fish here? And, and that's, that's something I can't explain in the time block that I've got here. I'm still trying to figure a lot of that out myself, but uh, that's the enigma of it. But no, uh, I have areas that I won't fish on certain winds, uh, northerly winds or whatever, but I have other areas that I will also fish in those winds. So uh, a lot of that depends on, on putting your time in and scouting your areas out and finding an area that'll work or just have that area by your house that'll work on a north wind or a southwest wind or something like that. You know, it, it's just a matter of the area, more more or less the wind, you know. Okay. And now now transition me to methodology. Now tell me the action that you're imparting on those, those topwater selections. All right. Sounds good. Well, it's took me a lot of years here real quick to figure out something that works. So now I've gone with a, a fast tip. And that tends to make life a lot, lot easier. And if you, you know, like Star and all, they don't have on their rods or TFO does on some of them, but they don't have moderate, fast, fast, extra fast, whatever. This is actually happens to be, uh, it's faster and extra fast. 
I found that that makes a difference. This is also a, a baitcaster. Uh, I've kind of developed that. A lot of your crowd from Texas and all, they uh, you go fish in Texas and they ask you. They say, well, you know, you use a spinner rod. They say, why you make life so hard, son? Throw your baitcaster, and it does make it a lot easier when you get used to it. But I like a fast tip because that makes me work less when you're making, you know, I don't know, five, six, seven, eight hundred casts in the morning, or, or do it back to back, three, four hundred casts. If I'm not, you know, if I'm not running a charter, and a lot of times, often I have to show my clients what it is I want them to do. You can't really explain it. A lot of fishermen, especially, learn better from demonstration. Um, I like to work that top water pretty fast. I throw it out there if it's real calm in the morning, make a nice long cast, uh, fan cast, sweep in the area that I want to fish. And actually, Gary, if I step down off of a dock or something. Uh, I do prefer to wade fish. You can do it from a boat, but I've had much better results wade fishing or kayak fishing. And I actually even get out of the kayak. But um, I start really shallow because it'll blow your mind how shallow these, these 25, 26 or better inch speckled trout will get. Uh, how I shallow? Start... Go ahead, Gary. How shallow? You know, six, eight inches of water I've been standing in, in knee-deep water and had fish behind me, so they can get pretty shallow. A lot of that depends on the cycle of the tide and uh, how cool that water is. But uh, I would say don't be scared to start making that top water cast in six or eight inches of water because, you know, for example, uh, uh, you know, eight inches of water will hide an overslot redfish if he wants to hide a trout's not much different it's just as stealthy as a redfish if, if she wants to be and most of those fish are big females um but i'll start casting the shallowest part first walk my way out to where i want to be and I, I intend to make a long cast extending out over that grass to the to the moving edge of water um i make my cast and sometimes if they're really fired up that thing hits the water and they hammer it. But let's go by the rules and, and that top water hits the water. You want to let, uh, as it hits the water, and I, I have mine set, you know, larger hooks in the back. My guide buddy's going to be mad for telling that. But <laughs> anyway, water, and I let, if it's calm, I want the ripples to stop if it hasn't been hit already. And once the ripples stop, I go ahead and start working that lure pretty fast. You know, walk that dog, twitch, 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 pretty fast, pretty fast. And I will stop it. And sometimes if you if you set that lure right, you can make it slap the water on each side. And sometimes they really they really hammer it that way. But overall, I'll, I'll let it pause a few times. And, and most time I'm pretty technical. I'm reading the water when I let let that lure pause when I'm really covering ground with the top water or fishing a new area. But uh, I like it pretty fast. And it. it if you're new to top water, you want to work on that form first. You want to make sure you get a good, solid walk the dog pattern. And then once you get that, that technique down, then you can speed it up. Don't be too, too set on, oh, I got to work this fast because Captain Joe said work it fast. And work on your technique first if you're new to top water. And once you get that technique down, then you can speed it up. But if you don't have the right technique, you're just wasting your time. Gary, one more thing here real quick. I, I want you to interject, but a little secret that I've learned, and you know, I do use fancy leaders, but uh, I also use a lot of just regular monofilament. But uh, 
this happens to be a high catch here, and I use 20 to 30 pound monofilament. Uh, this is a you're not going to see it on this camera, but this is a smoke invisible color, and uh, I, I prefer to use that because uh, if that sun comes up, you know they say whether whether it's reflection or refraction or whatever it is they're saying now is what fish can see. I do well with this smoke color, and I'll actually would recommend you doing 25 or 30 pound monofilament because we've lost over the years quite a few top orders with 20 pounds from the trout really hammering that thing. Uh, and check your leader, because um, a lot of times they're really aggressive. They're going to hit that, that leader. Uh, but I recommend a monofilament because monofilament floats opposed to fluorocarbon sinking. Uh, I don't believe I've lost any fish or strikes because of it. I think I've actually gained. So that's one, one more little trick uh, out of the guy's playbook there that I've learned from failure and talking to other guides is the monofilament is definitely the choice that you want to go with when you're working the top water. All right. I have, I mean, I'm trying to keep up. You're throwing so much. You're turning on the fire hose of information. And I'm loving it. And I think I'm keeping up. I have a couple of questions. I want to ask both just to make sure I don't forget. First one is, um, tell me why you like to let that top water sit until the ripples stop. Like, tell me why you think that's an effective technique. And then what I want you to talk about is I'm going to guess that a lot of the people watching this podcast aren't going to wade. I'm surely some of them are, but aren't going to wade. They're going to be throwing that top water from the boat. So maybe just give them a little idea of, you know, best techniques from the boat as in, you know, are you power pulling or anchoring? Are you drifting? But, uh, but talk to me about letting that top water sit for quite a while before you bring it back in first. Absolutely, Gary. You know, I put a lot of thought into that. Um, to me, sometimes I don't think it matters. If the fish are really fired up, they see that thing, it makes a shine, that, that rattle, that rattle hits in the water or whatever it does to trigger that strike. Sometimes I don't think it matters, but if you have fish that have been beat up a little bit, or maybe that, that, that gator, that, that 29 or 32 inch gator that, that seems to be so elusive, uh, I think that those fish sometimes have seen a lot of stuff. So if you throw that lure out there and let it sit, um, I think it just kind of becomes indigenous out there. You know, maybe they see it fall and they get distracted or whatever, but, but Jimmy Price gave me that advice. Let the ripples dissipate and then start working that thing. Now, what I've noticed is if you've, if you've spent the time on the water and you've ever seen a bird drop a, a bait fish, it doesn't always hit the water and take off. Sometimes it's like, man, what just happened to me? I, I just fell from the sky here, you know? So I'm not sure if that's it either. Uh, but you know, it just seems to work. And like I said, it doesn't always matter if those fish are really fired up, that thing can hit the water and they'll hammer it. I've had redfish and trout do that. Uh, but that's just kind of that to me, that gets everything set, gets your attention focused on that lure. The water goes back to being normal. And then you start lop, 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 walking that dog, getting that thing back to you, getting that fish's attention. Um, now to roll right back into what the other question you asked, Gary, you're right. A lot of people aren't going to wade fish. If you go with Captain Joe and you're not on a kayak, you're going to wade fish. But, you know, I, I respect that people are worried about rays and stuff like that. Um, there is a, a new new thing out there called Raypel. It's an electronic device created by a, a uh, marine biologist that is like 99.9% effective. So if wade fish is what you like, check out Raypel. But um, if you're going to move up into these grass flats with your boat, 
stealth is, is very imperative. It's not just, you know, a, a, a respect thing or a, a, a word slipped my mind, but these fish are on that grass flat and they are 100% tuned into their environment. Um, shallow water, uh, noises, sounds, movements, echo. Your boat displaces water when it's sitting in a smaller body of water. Uh, don't think those fish can't feel that. I guarantee you that if, if I was sitting in your bathroom with you and you didn't know who I was, you would know that I was probably in your bathroom. Uh, just, a, just an example. <laughs> but um, they know. Give, give them the credit that they're the alpha in that environment and that they know that that, that boat is there displacing that water or that kayak. So what I do is I come in uh, way out turn my big engine off. Uh, I'm fortunate enough to have a nice trolling motor. Uh, it's one of my favorite things on my boat. Um, and I, I come in way, you know, probably sometimes I'll come in, uh, this is no joke, I'll come in a half a mile ahead of the target spot that I want to fish. Now, that doesn't mean that the half a mile space between where I want to fish and where I come in is not going to hold fish. But if I know that there's a specific target area, I'll come in sometimes a half or quarter mile ahead, and I turn that big engine, big engine off. I learn where that grass flat is, and I turn that big engine off before I even hit that grass flat. I've got that trolling motor down, and I'm working my way into that grass flat as minimally as I can upwind to come into that grass flat. Um, I use a stick it pin. You got a power pole, great. Um, I, I really don't like using an anchor. That anchor hits the water, that chain clicks, it clacks, it clanks, it makes noise. Um, I've had a lot of great winter trout spots foiled from anchors, you know, being dropped or clanged or chucked off the boat or whatever. Um, so I'm, I'm really sticular about, about stealth. And if, 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 like I'll come into that, this is how I come into that grass flat. I come in way ahead, big motor off before I hit the grass flat, troll a motor up as shallow as I could get, pull my troll motor up. And what I actually do is get out of the boat and pin my boat down, and then, then we'll get out of the boat from there. I've even had people who, who stay in the boat, and I'll push the boat, and they fish from the boat. But uh, as shallow as you can, uh, if it's a falling tide, you may end up stuck there for a while, so mind your tide. But I'll come in covering that shallow area, set my boat up as shallow as she'll float, pin it down, and then I'll fish like that. If you're going to work the trolling motor, get your trolling motor set meticulously. Work horizontally down that edge where you can cast out to that deeper moving water off the end of that grass bed if that's what you're working or you want to work over that grass to that oyster rock or to that marsh bank, whatever. But uh, I'm, I'm very particular about my stealth. And, and, and just to interject one last thing, Gary, about that, and I hope I didn't miss anything you asked me, but... I don't believe that I'd have caught a uh, winter of 2018 that big 31 and a half inch speckled trout on a mirror lure and the 29 and three quarter behind it if I'd have been on anything but my kayak. Because in the body of water I was fishing, they would have 100% noticed my Jones brothers up in that creek. Uh, whereas I rolled down very meticulously with the tide, almost as indigenous as I can be up against that grass, marsh grass and fish so that the tide moves around me. But that's how particular I am, Gary, uh, just to get out there and let people catch some fish. Now, uh, just, just use a little forethought and, and come down on an area with a little precaution, and you'll have a lot better results, I guarantee it. Man, Joe, this has been, I mean, I've loved this podcast for so many reasons. And 
one of them is any podcast that mentions Jimmy Price once is good, but you got in two Jimmy Price references. I have a very <laughs> soft spot in my heart for that man. Um, hey, we're at the end of our time, but what I'd like you to do is now let's finish by telling my audience what you're doing besides trout. Give me the quick highlight reel, the quick highlight reel of what Captain Joe's doing in the spring, the summer, and the fall. All right. Captain Joe loves chasing big drum, Gary, whether they're over slots or trophy size drum. That's what I love to do. So in the springtime, I'm, I'm hunting drum in the flats, uh, schools of fish from 50 to 100, maybe bigger if I'm really lucky, in mud flats that hold their temperature better. Uh, then I start moving, uh, following those drum out of those out of those mud flats and, and muddy back bays uh, to different areas. Uh, and then I'll start transitioning to topwater trout in the spring. Of course, then your your cobia and your Spanish, maybe if we're lucky, chopper blues show up again, uh, such like that. Uh, a little bit of everything is what I like to target. But right now, my mind's starting to get fixated on on chasing trout on the river, uh, in between hunting old drum on the river, because that's that's really what occupies my thought. And I hope to add some tarpon in the mix this year as well. And then in the fall, I'm finishing up the drum by the second week of October, the trophy drum. Uh, might hunt some more live bait Spanish mackerel, which I'm doing some of that now. Big five to seven pound Spanish mackerel and live bait. Uh, I'll be doing some of that as they move through, maybe a little reef fishing this year, uh, hunting amberjacks and stuff. And then I'll finish up with a strong fall, catch those slot drum and upper slot drum, moving out of those bays with the last big bulk load of shrimp. And I'll hunt speckled trout all the way through January. And I ran charters all the way through January and February. Of course, last year was a phenomenal trout year. Um, but that, that's pretty much a, a quick agenda of what Captain Joe's year looks like. Man, that's just what I wanted to hear, Joe. Thank you so much. Again, had a good time talking to you. Already trying to think in my mind, all right, what's going to be the next topic I use to invite Joe back to talk to us again? Man, uh, how, you know, have a good summer. Have a good fall. I'll stay in touch. I, be I believe I'm going to be fishing with you before the year's out. And this podcast got me ex even more excited to do that, man. You have a good summer. Thank you, Captain or Gary. I'm looking forward to fishing with you. And also you promised me a trip with Gary's girls now. So I'm looking forward to <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't know that I promised that, but I believe you did negotiate that. And I will honor that negotiation. <laughs> That's true. I negotiate that. I sure did. <laughs> Thanks, Joe. Billy. Man, what a show, what a show. I am glad I don't have the job of oh, it's Billy's too... best takeaway because I would be sort it's of stumped. tough, man. It's tough. But I am going to go with the, and I'm glad you circled back to why do you think the bait, when you throw it, let it sit, and why do you think that works? I'm glad you went back to that question because that was one thing that when I'm throwing topwater, I'm like, and I'm starting, you know. So to let it sit and be patient, it reminds me of fly fishing. So, all right. Kind of brought me back to like, oh, yeah, the patience game. So, all right. So, yeah, I'm I'm excited to try that. So many good episodes, so many good episodes back to back here, man. I'm learning so much. So, uh and I know you guys are too. So, make sure you like and share. I'm going to bring up this slide one more time, the social slide. Uh Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, Apple Podcast, uh, Google Play Music, and be sure to uh, subscribe on YouTube as well and share this, man. I know if I got this much good information that all you guys out there watching got so much good information. I know Gary and I are both enjoying uh, doing this podcast and, and learning so much. Oh, there, oh 
went to the wrong camera there. Here we go. I'll just go back to myself. Oh, there we go, Gary. All right. <laughs> I'll figure this thing out one day. Um, but yeah, man, great episode, Gary. So good, man. It was. And uh, please keep sending in photos. We're going to keep pushing you guys to send in some videos. We'd like to see those submissions yeah, go great. up. You know, again, the ideal count is less than a one minute. You know, one minute or less video. And, uh, yeah, stay in touch. Send us your comments. Subscribe. Help tell spread the word about the podcast. And get out fishing yourself. Remember, more fish more often. Or even better yet, just more time on the water more often.